From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. We're broadcasting live from Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia, which is the site of the Prairie Boat Stand Summit that is underway. And you can join us if you're in the area, but not to worry if you're not. You can join us virtually online for an interactive experience. Go to prayboatstand.org. It's been a powerful, impactful day, but there is more to come this evening. Beginning at 7 p.m., Senator Josh Hawley, former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, Al Robertson, host of Unashamed, Oz Guinness, best-selling author, Pastor Jack Hibb, Senior Pastor Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills in California, and Bishop Vincent Matthews, Missions President for the Church of God in Christ. And that's just tonight. We've got a full day again tomorrow. So check it out at prayvotestand.org. But first, coming up on this edition of Washington Watch, Republicans and Democrats in the Senate have reached a deal on the debt ceiling, albeit temporary. For two and a half months, the Democratic leaders did nothing and then complained that they were actually short on time. The majority didn't have a plan to prevent default, so we stepped forward. That was Republican leader Mitch McConnell earlier today. No one appeared more relieved than Democratic Senator and leader Chuck Schumer. We have reached agreement to extend the debt ceiling through early December, and it's our hope that we can get this done as soon as today. As I mentioned, this is a temporary solution, and it will be back in December. We'll get the latest from Missouri Senator Roy Blunt, a member of the Senate Republican leadership team, in just a moment. While the focus in Washington has been on funding the government, there is a lot more going on on Capitol Hill. I am here today to sound an alarm for the Justice Department restoring and strengthening the voting rights is The Voting Rights Act is a matter of great urgency. That was Deputy Attorney General Kristen Clark testifying yesterday before the Senate Judiciary Committee on the John R. Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act. What would this bill do and why is it a threat to our election system? Ken Blackwell, former Secretary of State for Ohio and Senior Fellow for Human Rights and Constitutional Governance, here at the Family Research Council joins me. Also, President Biden just wrapped up a speech within the last hour in Chicago, trying to shore up his tanking polling numbers as he tried to defend his vaccine mandate. And we know there is no other way to beat the pandemic than to get the vast majority of Americans vaccinated. It's as simple as that. Uh, It's not quite that simple. We're going to talk about it. And angst has continued to build after Attorney General Merrick Garland facilitated the claim by the National Association of School Boards that parents who show up at school board meetings are the equivalent of domestic terrorists. Powerful discussions today over that issue here at the summit. Several panels on education, and it continues on Washington Watch a little later. Keisha King, co-chair of the Northeast Florida Moms for Freedom. Jonathan Copel, former Louisiana public school teacher who challenged his school board for their liberal gender indoctrination and FRC's Meg Kilgannon, Senior Fellow for Education Study. All join me here at the Cornerstone Chapel Cafe, site of the Pray Vote Stand Summit. And finally, and there's still more, Al Robertson from Duck Dynasty and now host of Unashamed joins us as well with a preview of his message for tonight. Again, check it out at the website, prayvotestand.org. And again, we welcome all of our viewers on NRB TV. If you uh, want to watch us, you can watch us on DirecTV Channel 378. 
Okay, as I mentioned, a short-term debt ceiling deal was reached earlier today with just 11 days left before the government was expected to default. But according to the latest reports, GOP leaders are struggling to convince 10 Republicans to vote to advance the short-term increase of the debt ceiling. With me now to talk about how the day has been unfolding and where things stand is Senator Roy Blunt of Missouri. He is the chairman of the Senate Republican Policy Committee, ranking member of the Senate Rules Committee, and a member of the Appropriations Committee. Senator, welcome back to the program. Hey, Tony. Great to be with you. Senator, give Sounds us an like update on where... On. Sounds like you've got a lot going on out there and a great uh, program today and tonight, and I was interested got the Justice Department uh, suing states over election laws and deciding uh, that parents showing up at school board meetings might be domestic terrorists. And uh, surely it gives us all a lot to talk about in addition to this incredible amount of spending that Democrats want to do in the next bill that they can finally agree on. Yeah, it's so much happening so quickly, it's hard to keep uh, keep focus on all the attacks on our freedom, whether it be the overspending, these massive programs by the Democrats that they're pushing through. But let's talk about the, the debt ceiling. That's front and center right now. Is that is there a, is there a deal going to be agreed upon tonight? You know, I think we, we still are, are waiting to see if that's going to happen. If there is a deal agreed on, the two things that Republicans have been saying we wanted to see happen that will happen is Democrats will vote for a specific amount of increasing the debt rather than just suspending the debt ceiling uh, like the government has been doing uh, for 10 years now, suspending the debt ceiling. And when you come to the end of that suspension, the new debt ceiling became whatever you could spend between now and then. So uh, ha- having them uh, admit to and agree to an amount that you have to increase the debt ceiling. And when that amount, it, you get to the end of that amount, that's when you have to do this again. And the other thing is that the actual debt ceiling vote itself would be all the Democrats versus, versus all the Republicans. The question is, is it w- to, to get Republicans to allow that vote to occur. And frankly, that's in the backdrop of a lot of concern uh, that this could be the moment uh, when Democrats use the debt ceiling and the full faith and credit of the government as the reason to change the Senate rules. And if that happens, all kinds of bad things will happen uh, in a very short time uh, from admitting D.C. and maybe Puerto Rico as states to changing election laws to packing the Supreme Court. And so there's a lot at stake. And sometimes in this job, you wind up casting a vote that's not the perfect vote to try to prevent a worse thing from happening. And if uh, if the leader's right, and if uh, this is the moment when the filibuster ruled uh, is at risk, uh, there's a lot there's a lot to lose if uh, if we lose the nature of the Senate and uh, lose the ability to stop those things from happening that so far we've been able to stop this year. Yeah, a lot of people compare this. It's, it's not checkers, it's chess. Uh, you have to think down the road what other actions might be taken. But I, I want to go back to your point about the Democrats having to set a, a specific number to the debt ceiling raise. And the reason they don't want to do that is they don't want to own that dollar amount because they know politically that's toxic to go back and say, well, we raised the debt ceiling to, I don't know what, $30 trillion, $35 trillion. They don't want to own that when they go back to the American people. Well, I think that's right. And once once you admit to an amount, if we think it will last uh, – 
one month or two months, everybody can multiply and suddenly you've got them on record saying, if we don't do even anything new, we are going to have this kind of debt increase over the next uh, two years, five years or six months. But if we then do this new package of all kinds of, uh, of, of entitlements, as well as government deciding that uh, kids can, anybody can go to community college for free. Uh, I had a college president, university president in my office today. I said, if you really want to make educa- higher education expensive, make it free. If, right, if once exactly. you tell people uh, on campuses and off campuses that the government's going to pay the bill, I guarantee you that bill is going to go up faster than it would have gone up otherwise. Let me ask you, maybe you can't say this, but uh, being in the leadership meetings, uh, you know, the, I've watched this unfold and I see what uh, the Republican leader is doing. As you talked about, there's several factors to look out, look at. But in, in many ways, he, he pulled the, the, the Democrats fat out of the fire on this because they were the ones that could have done this two months ago and they didn't do it. And as soon as he issued a offer to them to allow this temporary debt ceiling raise to go through with a dollar amount, they're now saying, well, he caved, he blinked, he gave in, we won. Well, that, that, you know, we'll, we'll see. I was comfortable with where we were before, but the leader had had conversations with, with uh, Senator Sinema and Senator Manchin and others that led him to believe that this was a moment of real uh, jeopardy. And uh, the, the big thing that Democrats are hopefully setting the new standard on is having to admit to a number. Uh, and again, in every debt, every debt ceiling increase until President Obama was president until 2011, it was always you increase the debt ceiling to a number. And when you got to that number, then you had to do it again. Uh, but after 2011, you suspended the debt ceiling to a date. And when you got to that date, however much debt you'd been able to pile up, uh, was the debt ceiling at that moment. Uh, and we need to break that pattern if we can. And if this starts breaking that pattern, uh, it's it's uh, a, a good thing. But certainly, I don't want to be part of raising uh, the debt ceiling. I particularly don't want to be part of, of adding new programs that will add to the debt beyond whatever decisions were made last year in COVID with uh, President Trump or other decisions that clearly added to debt. But the debt ceiling should be about the future. President Biden said the other day, the debt ceiling's about the past, it's not about the future. I've been here a while, and every time we've had a debt ceiling debate, it's always been about the future. And the Democrats always, in return for their support of raising the debt ceiling, wanted to spend more money. And Republicans always wanted to put some kind of restraint on the system that wasn't currently there. Remember the CAPS deal a decade ago. For a decade, we had to deal with the fact that in law, there was a there was a ceiling on spending. And while we occasionally had to suspend that, like we did in 2019, when Speaker Pelosi said, I'm not going to do anything to raise the debt ceiling unless the Trump White House agrees to spend more money. And eventually the Trump White House. Uh, and Secretary Mnuchin agreed to spend more money. And uh, it's always about the future, no matter what President Biden says about what this debt ceiling debate is about. Uh, Senator Roy Blunt, one final question for you. Uh, What has led to this debt ceiling raise is spending. And of course, that's the next issue with the reconciliation 
3.5 trillion to 4.2, depending on who does the uh, the math. Uh, Senator Manchin saying he's not going to support anything above 1.5 trillion. What's going to happen? Well, I, I hope uh, I hope we don't uh, do more than one five point trillion. And I'm for, I'm not for doing any of it. I think all of it is an addition that we don't need. There are solutions in in search of a problem. Uh, anybody that wants to go to college now, that, to community college for free, if you're at the income level that we have set for Pell Grant recipients, anybody who gets the full Pell Grant in virtually any state uh, gets their tuition, their books, uh, and their fees paid, and usually has a little money left over uh, for transportation. Uh, if uh, three- and four-year-old kindergarten is a good idea, the states have funded kindergarten up till now. It should be a good idea that state governments and local taxpayers embrace. I don't think these are areas where the federal government needs to come in because every time the federal government gets there, it gets there with new rules and regulations right. and new guidelines. Absolutely. Senator Roy Blunt, always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for uh, joining us today. Hey, great to talk to you, Tony. See you soon. All right. Uh, Senator Roy Blunt of Missouri member of the Republican leadership team in the Senate. That vote will be taking place tonight. They're still working to uh, get the votes needed to raise that debt ceiling, even temporarily. We'll see what happens there. All right, we're, you are listening to Washington Watch. We're coming to you live from the Pray Vote Stand Summit at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Coming up next, Democrats trying to push forward a measure to take over elections, to federalize elections. Ken Blackwell joins us here. After the break, don't go away. More Washington Watch to come right after this. Join us for FRC and FRC Action's inaugural Pray Vote Stand Summit. In light of the growing opposition our culture has expressed against biblical principles and the truth of God's Word, we've launched Pray Vote Stand Summit to equip and encourage Christians to respond to this opposition from a biblical worldview. We will address issues such as protecting the unborn, the importance of the nuclear family, domestic and international religious liberty, developments in our nation's education system, and more. We see the need for the restoration of a biblical foundation in our nation and the necessity to equip Christians to effectively engage the culture and understand current events through a biblical lens. Join us at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia from October 6th through the 8th for the Pray Vote Stand Summit. Register online at prayvotestand.org slash summit or by calling 877-372-2808. Here's a moment of Hope for Your Home with Jerry and Becky Trace. Do you sometimes feel like you're wandering in darkness? All around us are voices calling for our attention. As parents, it is often hard to sort out where to turn and to whom to listen. But now listen to 2 Samuel 22, verse 29. For you are my lamp, O Lord. The Lord shall enlighten my darkness. When we lean on the Lord as our God, he will honor His Word by giving wisdom to bring light to any threatening situation. Your world may seem unbearable, but according to the promises of God, you can experience a brilliance that will bring you victory no matter what you're facing. Remember, darkness goes away when you flip on the light. Just flip on the light of God and see what happens to your darkness. Learn more about the ministry of Jerry and Becky Drace, including evangelism with integrity, devotions, articles, and more at HopeForTheHome.org. 
This has been a moment of hope for your home. I did discuss my options for abortion. After a series of health issues, this mom felt abortion was the only answer. Was still borderline thinking abortion until the little part at the bottom of the ultrasound started moving and we realized there were two. And I knew then. The Ministry of Preborn is there for moms in crisis, offering free ultrasounds and the gospel in action. At just 11 weeks old, these twins cried out for life through ultrasound. Just seeing that, I said, I can't. I can't. The ultrasound will seal the deal. Preborn clinics are the largest providers of free ultrasounds in the USA, introducing moms to their preborn babies and helping them choose life. To find out more, go to preborn.com. That's preborn.com. Or dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 and say, baby, your love can save a life. Come back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. So good to have you with us. Broadcasting live from the Pray Boat Stand Summit at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. By the way, Pastor Gary Hamrick and the team here at Cornerstone have been great partners in the Pray Boat Stand Summit. We are so grateful for them. Yesterday, the Senate Judiciary Committee held a hearing on the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act, the revised version of H.R. 4. As you may recall, H.R. 4 was passed by the House Democrats back in August and was dubbed H.R. 1 version 2.0 because like its failed predecessor, it threatens states' elections, election rights and gives authority over elections to the federal government. Now, during yesterday's hearing, Deputy Attorney General Kristen Clark said she was there to, quote, sound the alarm. Actually, I finally found something that I agree with on the Biden administration. I want to sound the alarm, too, but for a different reason. This is nothing more than a federal takeover of our election system. And here to talk about it, Ken Blackwell, Senior Fellow for Human Rights and Constitutional Governance here at FRC. He is also the chairman of the Center for Election Integrity at the American First Policy Institute and the former Ohio Secretary of State. Ken, welcome back to the program. Hey, Tony, good to be with you. All right, let's talk about the elements of the John Lewis Voting Advancement Bill. It's still a power grab at its essence. You can put lipstick on a pig, but it's still a pig, Tony. And this is still a power grab by the federal government. It would destroy the accountability systems that we've been reliant upon. It actually gives citizens at the local level control over the election process, not a status, federal, authoritarian government. So, Ken, is this the dialed back version that uh, that, uh, Senator Manchin said he would support that focuses on pre-clearance of uh, election lines and drawing those uh, districts? No, this actually uh, is, is, is not a substantial change. If Joe Manchin embraces this, he will have turned his back on West Virginians and he will have, in fact, uh, went against all of his promises in the past to protect our constitutional republic from a federal takeover uh, and a full-footed planning of authoritarianism. Let's talk about the uh, the provisions in this measure, the pre-clearance measures. Uh, explain that to our listeners, what that means. 
back in the mid 60s, uh, there were states and voting jurisdictions that were under a pre-clearance mandate, which meant that there had been past practices of discrimination and they couldn't make any changes in their election laws without pre-clearance by the, by the Justice Department. What this would do in a roundabout way is make all states right. subject to pre-clearance. See, Louisiana, and that, would, that would give the we control used, to When the I was government. in the legislature, Louisiana had to do that in that every 10 years when a census is conducted, we just went through that, and state legislatures then draw, redraw the lines for Congress, they redraw the lines for the state legislature. We had to go to Washington to get them to approve our uh, lines, yeah. all of our districts. Yeah. And so what this would do is require every state to do that. I mean, the impact of that is quite significant when you think of what happened 10 years ago when Republicans gained control of the majority of state legislatures. They were able to draw lines that reflected the state. And, and it, the concern the Democrats have, if I'm not mistaken, Ken, is that they want to be able to determine who gets elected. And they do that by drawing the lines. Absolutely. Again, underscore it is a, it's a federal takeover of the process. Uh, and if you look at the playbook of the Democrats, Pelosi and Schumer, they want to make it a one-party controlled federal government, right. which means that they want to guarantee a liberal democratic control forever. And that's why we must we must must push back. Well, in, in another portion of this bill is that in this last year, we've seen states respond to what happened last November, and we've had uh, 19 states have adopted 33 different laws that have reformed the election system. This would nullify all of that. All of that would be knocked out by this bill. Absolutely. Look, there are two tracks that we are always concerned about. One is the chain of custody of ballots uh, and the reforms that we've seen put in place tighten the chain of custody and that would, in fact, give us a better confidence in the count. And then and then thirdly, verification. Uh, and that's why most many states are moving towards photo identification for voters. Pretty common sense uh, step. And it's being resisted. This would do away. So let me ask you a question. You know, they complain about this as, as actually saying that this this stifles voting. This uh, takes away fundamental rights. Well, look. When you and I know these illustrations are used, but it, it's it's important to, to draw the comparison. You cannot get on into an airport to get on an airplane without a photo ID. You can't. In fact, today you can't even buy Sudafed uh, without a photo ID to prove that you're not uh, you know going to use it for something else. I mean, they take your driver's license. So, I mean, isn't a vote? In terms of electing our leaders, isn't that something that's extremely important to the future of our country? Absolutely. And Ken Kukowski and I wrote in 2009 about the balance between voting rights and the duties of citizenship. It is not an overbearing duty for us to take the steps to make sure that votes are not negated by illegal ballots. And photo ID will help us make sure that voters are who they claim to be and they or legal voters and their votes won't negate a, a, a legal ballot cast by another another citizen. But these folks, not only do they want open borders, they want voters without borders. Yeah. So they can get the numbers that they want to maintain a majority across 
uh, across time. Okay, Ken Blackwell, uh, final question for you. We're almost out of time. What do our listeners need to do? We need to engage. God has invested human agency in each and every one of us. We can't act as if we can't influence history. We can't influence outcome through our engagement. Get engaged. Action, action, action. All right. Uh, so, folks, you want to contact your members of Congress and encourage them to vote against the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act because it is a federal takeover of our election system, negating what so many states have done just in the last six months to uh, address these issues in our election system. Ken Blackwell, always great to talk with you. Tony, great to be with you. What a, an event that we have going on here in this church. It's, uh, it's great. And folks, you can tune in and still be a part of it. Go to prayvotestand.org. Great lineup coming up tonight. And don't go anywhere, because coming up next, we're going to be talking to Al Robertson with the Duck Dynasty. Here next. Don't go away. Making the most of your money. Here's Dan Celia on American Family Radio. Apparently, President Biden has indicated to the Democrats that they're going to have to compromise and was talking a little bit about infrastructure bill as well, saying that the infrastructure bill was going to have to be somewhere in the neighborhood of one point nine to two point three trillion dollars. That is still astronomical. And the only way that number can be justified even a little bit if a lot of the social welfare kind of programs have been increased dramatically. This can't be all an infrastructure bill. As bad as our roads and bridges are, we just are totally out of touch with just how much money a trillion dollars is. So it's got to include other things, but not likely to include as many things as the far left wants to see. Remember, by all accounts, Bernie Sanders is in charge. I know that sounds ludicrous, but this is a Bernie Sanders bill that he has put forth and is endorsing, and the far left has embraced it and wants to try to get it done. Hopefully, there are enough Republicans to hold their own. But look, it's going to get passed one way or another. And Mitch McConnell told Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi, hey, just pass whatever you want to pass. You don't need us. Pass it. But they're not going to get any kind of bipartisan support. If they do, then that just gives so many another reason, as if they need another one, to reconsider even the notion of reelecting some of the so-called conservatives. Want to hear more financial advice from Dan Celia? Look for his podcast at AFR.net. This is Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. The website, TonyPerkins.com. We are broadcasting live from the Prevote Stand Summit at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. And uh, you can join us. Go to prayvotestand.org. It's been about two and a half years since the Robertson clan behind the hit show Duck Dynasty launched Unashamed, a video podcast to bring faith, family and freedom and a little fun to their audience. Well, the podcast has seen some explosive growth and the people across the nation are responding with me now to talk about what he has been hearing from his audience and the issues that they're most fired up about is Al, the 
I was going to say beardless one, but you got a beard on this time. I'm yeah. the least bearded brother. Least bearded point. brother. All right. I and I was it. expecting you to have a beard. I saw you doing it last year. You were rocking the beard. I think I think it took you to another level. You well, should have kept that on. South Louisiana in the summertime is not a place for a beard. <laughs> I, I realize that. You know, I, I was telling, uh, we had uh, Ted Cruz on our podcast, and I said, Senator Cruz, since you've grown the beard, you went from Ted Cruz to a Cruz missile. I mean, this guy, he was amazing, right? I mean, so I, I think you should grow it back in the winter. Yeah, in the winter. In the winter. It works in the winter. Time. Well, how's your dad doing? He's doing fantastic. Nothing has slowed him down. He's uh, still, you know, just as sharp as ever. He does a show called In the Woods as well as Unashamed, so he stays busy. Well, let's talk about Unashamed because it's really taken off. It has. A uh, lot of people, a lot of life change. You know, we, we they approached us and they said, look, we want to do a podcast. And we kind of got, we're kind of covered on political, you know, conservative political stuff. Would you guys be open to doing a biblical, you know, scriptural podcast? You think you could do that? And I said, we were born to yeah. do this. Yeah. So we've just done a big old Bible study. That's what we did. It's a Robertson-style Bible study. And, uh, and it's impacted a lot of people. The emails I get from all across America, you changed my husband's life. My husband is finally, you know, the father he's always wanted to be. He's the husband. So, it, and, you know, we're not like we're just preaching. We're just sharing the scripture, yeah. you know, yeah. and it's, it's impact. You know, and that really ties into, and thanks for being here for Pray Vote Stand oh, I'm excited. And, and being a part of, of this I mean, we're leaning into our strength, which is the word of God, exactly. the truth of God's word. And, you know, I, I love the title, Unashamed, because too many Christians are high, have been hiding their faith historically. And, of course, that's what the culture wants us to do. Right. And we've got to live unashamed of the truth that right. is within us. I think a lot of Christians, and I know a lot of pastors, bought the lie that you can't talk about cultural things in, in culture, right. you know, you keep it contained and go to your Bible class and go to your small groups, but don't dare live unashamed. And so I think that's the way we impact and change culture. And you and I have spent a lot of time talking about that the word of God is built, to, it's written to change. And so if you just share that, it'll take care of itself. Yeah, it, it, they say in polite company, you're not supposed to talk about politics or religion. What is there to talk about? <laughs> that's what everybody's talking about. Yeah, and, and, and I think that's what Unashamed has done. We're able to, and we look, we, we don't shy away from any topic. I love looking at current events. Obviously, during the campaigns and the elections, we're talking about that as much as anybody else, but always through a spiritual prism, yeah. always through a biblical right, right, lens. Right, right. And, and that's the way we need to operate. We need to look at the events that are unfolding around us through the lenses of Scripture. It's what, number one, it helps us understand it, but number two, it, it allows us to keep hope and not become discouraged and depressed. Be anxious for nothing but by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. You and I both know, Tony, the biggest problem in America now is this shifting idea of truth. There is no truth. Everything is what you think in the moment, what, what happened a decade ago, and all of a sudden this is what we're following. That's the beautiful thing about the biblical narrative. It lays an authoritarian truth that will always be there. It's never going to shift. It's never going right. to change. Right. And, and we adhere to it, yeah. which is powerful. Yeah, that's so, that's so important because we're standing on a, a never-shifting foundation. Um, so, uh, Al Robertson, you're going to be here with us tonight speaking at the Prevote Sand Summit. Uh, 
preview of what you're going to talk about? You know, what what struck me is like anything else, when, when you guys had, had sort of renamed everything Prevo Sandwich, I totally loved. I sort of reflected on that in my own life and thought, you know, those simple truths are something that we can do to really make a difference in our culture. So I just did a little deep dive into my own heart, and that's what I'm going to share tonight on what pray, vote, stand means to me yeah. and what it's meant to our family. Well, those are those are action exactly. verbs. I mean, we, we need to pray. And, of course, and they're in the, the proper order. That's right. Because as believers, we need to, as you said, focus through the lenses of Scripture, but prayer followed by voting our biblical values, but then we must, regardless, stand for biblical truth. Right. Well, as you know, our show became popular, that nasty became popular, not just because we were a fun Louisiana family. That was the core of what they were trying to portray, but we stood for something yeah. greater, and the audience got right. that. Yeah. And ultimately, when we were forced in culture to take a stand, we did. We did. Yeah. You did. And, and, and we're still here. Yeah. Well, and I think people are looking for that. You've seen that today on some of the panels, you know, in men and women who have taken a stand for what is right. And, you know, courage breeds courage. And I think that's why the culture wants to keep us down. They don't want these stories. They didn't want you on the air. Uh, it was only because of the, uh, the the demand that kept you on there because they didn't want that message out there. Exactly. And, you know, I said just recently on the podcast that in 2021, Duck Dynasty would never get an opportunity to be on there. Yeah. That's the shame of it. In 2011, it was, but in 2021, no way. No no network would touch us now. Well, but it could again if we all lived unashamed. Yes. And that's, uh, that's exactly right. That's the heart of it. Al Robertson, great to uh, to have you here at the Prey Boat Stand Summit. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited about what FRC is doing. All right. Uh, Al Robertson, uh, tune in tonight. He's going to be uh, one of our keynote speakers at the Prey Boat Stand Summit. Go to prayboatstand.org. All right. Coming up next, one of the, uh, well, actually, we had a couple of panels this afternoon on education. And we're going to give you a taste of that as we continue the discussion about what uh, the National Association of the Board of uh, School Board Association says are domestic terrorist parents who are simply speaking out on what is happening in public education. That's coming up next here on Washington Watch. Don't go away. For centuries, the Bible has inspired humanity and shaped the very world we live in. But how do we know this book is the Word of God and not merely the words of men? What we believe about the Bible is based on what we believe about its source. The God Who Speaks explores the evidence of the Bible's inspiration and authority through some of the world's most respected biblical scholars. We have essentially a dual authorship. So it's true to say that Paul wrote Romans. It's equally true to say that God wrote Romans. He says, we saw this. And that sets the Bible apart from almost everything else in the ancient world and its religious pantheon of gods and goddesses. The God Who Speaks is a feature-length documentary from the American Family Association. Available now at thegodwhospeaks.org. Now more than ever, Christians are looking for a news source they can depend on to give them news coverage from a conservative biblical perspective. We strive to do that at American Family News. We're looking for a Christian journalist who feels led by the Lord to help us accomplish this mission. 
If you have training and preferably experience in the broadcast journalism field, we would love to talk with you. For further information, contact News Director Fred Jackson at 662-821-2033. Hi, I'm Mark Harrington, founder of the pro-life group Created Equal and host of Activist Radio, The Mark Harrington Show. Created Equal is all about saving the lives of unborn children. Each week, I cover the latest pro-life news and feature interviews with unsung heroes from across the nation who are making a difference for the cause of life, liberty, and justice. Join me every Sunday afternoon at 5.30 for The Mark Harrington Show here on American Family Radio and discover how you, too, can help protect the lives of the most innocent among us. The following are real-life stories from Trinity Debt Management. My story begins with debt, a lot of debt. I used my credit cards as a source of income. It was not a good situation. I couldn't pay my bills. The interest on the cards was really high. If you're in debt and you need help, call Trinity at 1-800-788-1813. I initially was scared to call, and immediately I felt relieved. They contacted all of our creditors, and they put us on a plan for success. Trinity will consolidate your accounts into one easy-to-manage monthly payment, reduce your interest, and possibly improve your credit score. You'll save thousands. I've been able to pay off close to $15,000. We're doing a lot better. Please pick up the phone and see how affordable and easy it is to pay off your debt. It's a godsend. We're debt-free for keeps. Call Trinity at 1-800-788-1813. That's 1-800-788-1813. I'm Tony Perkins, and you're listening to Washington Watch, the website, TonyPerkins.com. We're broadcasting live from the Pray Boat Stand Summit at the Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. You can, uh, if you can't get here, you might be able to get here before we start our 7 p.m. Uh, evening session. If not, you can join us online. Go to PrayBoatStand.org. Great lineup uh, tonight. You can actually see the entire program for the rest of the summit at prayvotestand.org. All right, we've been talking about this all week because it's an outrage. Uh, as I said, I believe the Attorney General of the U.S., of the United States, uh, Merrick Garland, poked the bear uh, by essentially agreeing with the National Association of School Boards in their claim that parents showing up to school boards are the equivalent of domestic terrorists. I, I, I want that to sink in. That moms and dads that are showing up to school boards, that their tax money funds that has their kids held captive eight hours a day, that speaking into what these kids are being exposed to is the equivalent of a domestic terrorism. You talk about arrogance, um, about government run amok. This, This is it. Well, joining me now on my panel to talk about this uh, was uh, several panelists that we had earlier today here at the Pray Vote Stand. Some, we had a couple of uh, panels on education, and they were just fantastic. Um, and if you weren't here, you missed it. But we might let you watch it later. Um, joining me there at the far end, Meg Kilgannon. She is um, our senior fellow for education studies here at the Family Research Council. And uh, and. and then we have uh, Jonathan Copel. He is uh, from Louisiana. He's a public school teacher, a former Louis- uh, public school teacher, taught Spanish. But he, was, uh, he spoke out, and uh, they didn't like it. And then we have Keisha King, a parent activist. Now, Keisha, I'm going to start with you because you don't look like a terrorist. 
Um, my kids might think I am at times, but no, I am not. <laughs> Let me just ask you, I mean, in, in all seriousness, um, what do you think about that, that this idea that parents who are speaking out about what their children, their children, their children, your children, what they're being taught that somehow you are the equivalent to a domestic terrorist? I find it extremely um, disgusting, quite honestly, that our government would use the FBI to be weaponized against parents who are simply concerned about our children's education. I, I think that's what we're supposed to be concerned right. about. We were supposed to question uh, elected officials. They work for us. And so for them to turn around, we put them in office and for them to turn around to say that we are equivalent to domestic terrorists is insane. Well, for years, we heard from those in education that parents aren't involved. And that we need parental involvement in education if our children are to succeed. And so all of a sudden, because of COVID and parents seeing what their children are being taught are saying, wait a minute, I don't like this. I want to get involved in my child's education. And now the government says, no, no, we don't want you involved in this. Mm -hmm. uh, Jonathan, I'm going to get you to comment on this because your story is that you, as a teacher, you saw what was happening in the classroom and you went to a public hearing at a school board meeting in conservative South Louisiana, my home state, and I know a lot of the folks down there, you spoke out and they didn't like it. No, of course they didn't like it because it, it brings attention to the things that everybody wants to sweep under the rug. So nobody wants the rug moved away because then you see all the trash. And so that's why all I did was just show everybody the trash that was happening. What did you bring attention to? So they had us uh, at that First meeting, they had a program called Brain Pop that was telling black kids they don't have a chance in life, that they're oppressed by white people. And then another video from Brain Pop about gender identity, where a kid can be whatever gender they want, which is not true. There's two genders, male and female. And uh, the next the next one, I brought some parents, you know, I encouraged some parents to come with me to the school board meeting to tell their stories of what's happening to their kids being basically discriminated against for having different political views than their teachers. And so what happened? Well, I didn't get fired at that point. You know, I thought things were good. I said, maybe my school respects my First Amendment right to free speech. Maybe they're okay with it. And, you know, maybe they just don't like me. And I, I can live with that. But I went all summer long, uh, went traveling, went to all kinds of events, traveled the country, had a great time. Came you back were on Washington Watch. That was probably what did it, I guess. <laughs> I, maybe that was it. That was it. Um, but, you know, I get back to school on the first day and I, had, I didn't have a mask on. And they told me to leave at a breakfast where nobody's wearing a mask. I'm like, why do I have to leave? Because I wasn't wearing a mask at the breakfast where nobody was wearing a mask. And I had the medical exemption that they approved for me not to wear a mask. And, uh, of course, it all be was because of the things I was doing over the summer. And that all came out in um, the meetings I had with them. And now I, I'm fired, of course, and I'm suing them. So You have a lawsuit. Just filed this yeah. week. <laughs> it's, a good, it's a lawsuit, baby. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see what happens. What, what are you? What are the grant? What are you suing for? Um, so, the medical discrimination, political discrimination. I was put into a category as a trumper because I didn't want to wear a mask. With there's people who do not support President Trump and also don't want to wear a mask. But I was put in that category. Um, so I got political discrimination, medical discrimination. Then there's retaliation for all of that. Then they, they had issues where they said my free speech was unprofessional 
insubordinate. And then uh, it, it breached school board policy, which it didn't because everything I did was outside of the workplace. I never brought any of that stuff into class. And it was all done on my free time where I should be able to do what I want because I'm an American living in America. And uh, there's a lot more to it. It's a yeah. 39 page lawsuit. Everything's listed in facts. It's a public document. I encourage anybody to figure out how to look at it. I'm going to post it. I would love for everybody to read it and just have some fun. Um, Cause it's some silly things. I was even told that I couldn't vote. This is the worst of it. I'm banned from school board property. And they said, I can't go vote without getting permission from them first. And you can't tell somebody they can't vote in America. So there's so many things in this lawsuit. It's just, it's really big. That's voter suppression. Oh, absolutely. It's racist. It's absolutely racist. Meg, let's uh, let's go to you. What's happening in public education? Is, is this something that's been going on and the, and the curtain has now been pulled back? It's uh, someplace that we got um, very slowly and then all of a sudden, right? It has absolutely been happening for a while. Um, and like you were saying, in South Louisiana, the conservative area where Jonathan is teaching, that school board is a little little pond of blue in a sea of red. Um, education, the educational industrial complex is really dominated by one kind of thinking, progressive thinking. Just like Silicon Valley is controlled by progressive thinking, so is education controlled by progressive thinking. So we really need to speak into that system. What we are seeing in terms of the reaction, you know, you have the Attorney General of the United States. I mean, I, this is unprecedented that they are creating a task force to actually look into how they can prosecute when it's not even a, it's not even their territory. So, I mean, this is really a reach. It's, a, it's an overreach. Um, it shows that parents are having an impact. It absolutely does. I mean, if you're winning, then you don't have to sick the FBI on your enemy, right? And that's essentially what the Biden administration has done to parents. And so, obviously, the truth we are speaking at those school board meetings is resonating in the community, and they realize that they have to answer our requests, Mm -hmm. but they don't want to. So they seek to delegitimize our voices and to demean and belittle us. And intimidate. And intimidate. Um, Keisha, I'm going to ask you this question. I think I know the answer. Are you intimidated by this? I am not. I think the, their worst mistake was making this type of statement or memo or whatever it was, because I think that's going to mobilize and organize even more mama bears uh, to 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 stand up for our kids. Uh, and, and I find it very funny that these school board members and uh, teachers and all these people that are against us uh, that they are supposed to be teaching but they can't even determine that they're two sexes, <laughs> two genders. I mean, they don't, they don't even know basic uh, biology. So. Or they won't admit it. <laughs> and that's, the, that's what's so dangerous about this. They know the truth but they won't speak it out of fear. Akisha, what was the, if to, to borrow a, a, uh, a term that's prevalent, what was the trigger for you that uh, that caused you to get involved? Um, the original trigger was uh, what I spoke about earlier, where God spoke to my heart and told me that my skin color had become an idol in my life. And so that was the original light bulb for me. And I saw a lot of I started looking more into the critical race theory and those types of things because of what. God had revealed to me. And I just started getting more involved. And then the Board of Education uh, 
the ban against uh, critical race theory in Florida came up. And so I went and, and spoke and that was, um, and by the way, that, was, that video went viral. It did. <laughs> yes, it did. I mean, and it was, if anything, if we're going to fight for anything, our faith and our children certainly are what I believe we will all, you know, are willing to put our lives on the line for. And we, you, we can't stand by why this next generation just goes astray. I certainly want it. I know many of us won't. Well, I know in 2010, we had the Tea Party movement, which really had an impact on American politics, elections. I'm hoping that we'll have a mama bear movement. Uh, that will fundamentally change America. Uh, because as you said, there's nothing more precious, nothing more important to us than our children. And, you know, I still believe the vast majority of people care about their children. I, I don't buy into the government's line that they have to take care of our children. I think moms and dads want to take care of their children. Jonathan, let me ask you this question. Um, now that you've been, uh, you know, kind of traveling the country, you've uh, had a little bit of a platform as you've spoken out. What are you hearing from other teachers? So it's, it's mixed, right? You got, you got a lot of teachers that say, think like me or think like us or who believe in free speech. They would love to speak out, but they're concerned about getting fired. So they see people like me, they see, they, oh, this guy got fired. So if I do anything, I'm going to get fired. I don't want to lose my retirement, my health care. But they got all, this whole list of things they don't want to lose. And because people are just irresponsible with money, you know, they got debts. They got, they got things to where if they do lose their job, they're in a very bad situation. So I, I get that from people. And they tell me, I, I can't do what you did because if, if I do, I lose everything. And uh, to me, I'm just like, well, you know, you could be silent or you could speak up. You need to choose one because being silent is not helping anybody. But there's a lot of silent patriot teachers, as I guess that's what we call them, silent patriots or closet conservatives um, that are out there. They just they're scared. They're just they're, they're scared and they, they need to see more people being brave, being courageous. That's what they need to see. But they're scared. Meg, if more stood together and stood up, they wouldn't be able to take the type of actions they took against Jonathan. Absolutely. Because I, I, I think that there's more for us than against us. But everybody's just scared. So let me ask you this. I, I you know, uh, uh, well, you're not supposed to ask the question unless you know the answer. But I don't know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Uh, would you do it again? Oh, absolutely. I would do it again. I regret nothing. Um, you know, at first it was just like this kind of weird thing. But now I, I, I feel so purposeful. I feel like I did the right thing. I feel um, I feel peace. I wake up. I'm happy. Uh, everything that I do, it just has life and it brings me joy. And so looking back, it was a good, yeah, okay, I lost my job, whatever. I'm, I'm a young man. I'll, I'll be okay. You know, God gave me a good brain and some, some good hands. And you and you, you taught Spanish. And I taught, yeah, I speak yeah. another language. So uh, right. I can be okay here or in Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, would, you wouldn't have much traffic going that way. No. no. The traffic is heavy coming. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be smooth sailing. <laughs> yeah. So, Meg, what needs to happen? I mean, is this a moment? Is this a moment that we need to seize? This is absolutely a wonderful opportunity for everyone to demonstrate their lack of domestic terrorist uh, inclinations by taking as many friends as you can to the next school board meeting you have the opportunity to go to. And you don't have to become a speaker there. 
your presence in that room and your attention to the conversations that they're having will change the room. It will change the conversation. And and I I would add this. I think we should, at a minimum, write to our school board members and ask them to denounce the National Association of School Board, uh, the association that said parents showing up are the equivalent to terrorists. We need to get our school boards on the record that they support parents showing up. Maybe all school boards should support a parent's bill of rights Yeah, for parents and honor parents as the primary educators of their children, which we are. That's right. Let me, uh, that's a great uh, segue as we wrap up uh, the the program is that, you know, I've said this many times before, God has given parents the authority and the responsibility to educate their children. You can delegate the authority, but not the responsibility. Parents, you will be held accountable by God to what your children are taught. And, you know, I've just seen it so many times as whatever we sow into our child's life or don't sow, eventually there's going to be a harvest. And uh, it's so much better if we invest in our children and sow the truth of God into them at a young age so that they will walk with him all the days of their lives. And as a parent, it's a much better place to be. Meg, Keisha, Jonathan, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for being here at the Pray Boat Stand Summit. Thank you so much. All right. And folks, thank you for joining us as well. Again, tune in tonight, prayvotestand.org. Great lineup of speakers. And we will continue again tomorrow as well. Again, you can find all that out at prayvotestand.org. Thanks so much for being with us. Until next time, I leave you once again with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you have taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.